Hi, everyone. Welcome to DevCast. It's been a hot minute. I'm John Janik. I'm the chief technologist here at Dev Technology Group. I'm joined today by Narup Gonchakar, our technical director for digital identity and biometrics. Hey, Narup. Hey, John. How are you doing? Glad to be here. I am doing well. Thank you for asking. Yeah. So it's at the end of January 2024. It's going to be an amazing year. And one of the most interesting things is that this month, we like to kick off our years with with a big exploration and inspiration exercise. And so we did what we always do. We went out to Vegas for the Consumer Electronics Show. Now, CES is one of the biggest shows on the planet, and they cover everything. They say it's consumer electronics, but the reality is it's everything under the sun. There are over 100,000 people that descend on Vegas, and even the pandemic for the what, one or two years that it canceled didn't really do much to ebb the interest as we came into it the next year. So this year they said there were 130,000 people for the show. And Narup, this was your first year attending, wasn't it? So how do you feel about that? 130,000 people. It was the entire Vegas strip for the most part from the, from the South to the North and everything in between. So I want to start there and just talk a little bit about your experience. Like, what did you think when we got there and you were looking at some of the information and realizing the scope of what was going on? Well, even before I got there, you know, I tried to go through the inventory and even trying to figure out where you're going to go, who you're going to talk to, what you want to see is overwhelming. Because as you said, it started with consumer electronics, but really it's just technology. And more than that, like what is Vegas known for? It's like, whatever it does, it does it over the top. And there was just like technology over the top there. So as a nerd and, and a technologist, it was, it was really cool and overwhelming, but in a good way. Yeah. Now they, and they covered everything on the planet. And, and before the show started up, we were, you were talking with one of your kids and, and that sort of conversation about the PlayStation five. And I think it really goes to, to show you how in the Sony booth, which was a, a huge setup, must've cost thousands and thousands of dollars for them to do. They had this immense, uh, PS five area where they even had full driving setups for Gran Turismo, right? And then some other PlayStation five place uh, play areas. And that was in addition to all the other setup parts. And so it was really interesting to see that piece of very consumer tech set up right next to a big XR theater that they had set up to demonstrate their new XR capabilities. Right now, XR stands for, you know, basically this new augmented reality setup that you saw in the Mandalorian and, and some other movies that have come out over the past few years where Literally, they are blending actors and digital sets in real time in order to give everything a sense of place and timing. And it is, it is amazingly productive. And one of the reasons why I think this show is so important for people in government contracting and the government period to attend is because you start getting an understanding of what does this mean for me? And so you're right. You had the PS5 on one, one hand, right? And on the other hand, you had this big XR theater and you could just start to unspool your mind and on all the potential possibilities around exercises and simulations and interactions for training. And you really got all of this inspiration out of that booth. And it just kept happening again and again, right? So as we were going through all the different spaces, you would see something sometimes completely incidentally. And it was like, wow, that's really cool. There were so many great exhibits. 
you know, I've got kind of the hot spot list in my mind of all the things that were amazing about going to the exposition this year, but I'm kind of curious from your perspective, you know, do you have like two or three things that were like absolutely top of mind and you thought to yourself, wow, this is really either inspiring or very much makes me think about this different. Well, you mentioned the PlayStation exhibit. And one of the things that really stood out to me is, you know, my kids recently got a PlayStation 5 and I'm a big fan of Gran Turismo, which is a, not a game, it is a driving simulator. And I've enjoyed it over the years. And one of the things I was just completely blown away by is how like consumer ready a lot of this technology is. I was a early adopter to some of the VR headsets that Samsung put out quite a few years ago. And, and they were cool for sure. And they were bleeding edge. They were clunky. They were like, you know, configuration issues at this point. I mean, with the VR setup on the PlayStation, it's like, it, it's just push button. It kind of manages all the workflows properly. You put on the headset, it takes you into that whole, like, let me make sure I map out, you know, where I'm standing. Are there any dangers? It's, it's all very tightly integrated and works really well. But one of the key things that came out of it, like you mentioned, you're just walking around, you're just kind of inundated with this tech and that tech and like all these cool new things. But for me, it didn't really sink in until I was on the plane ride home and like my mind could slowly start to process all the things I'd seen and I was starting to connect dots. I was like, well, it'd be really cool if we could take, you know, this AI thing and, and kind of like merge it with this. And so it's inspirational and it helps you think about like, it's very easy when you're doing your day-to-day -day job to have a little bit of tunnel vision, right? So when you come out of that tunnel and you, you see like this scenery and it's just like so much to look at, you get an opportunity to, to think outside the box. And it really does kind of give you that creativity and uh, that free thought that you need to be a good innovator and good technology. Yeah. And it was across the board, right? You, you got to see experiences that you could look at and say like, wow, that could really help the team in a very meaningful, like productivity way. And then you got to see other technologies. And, and I'd like to talk a, about them a little bit of where you looked at it and you'd be like, this is a game changer. If you could do this and this and this, you could completely disrupt, you know, some process that the government has. I want to start with the productivity angle a little bit, because there was a post we made on social media about our visit to the Asus booth. And we did that for a, a very specific reason because they had a really intriguing technology for one of their laptops, right? I was wondering, do you remember that? Do you want to talk a little bit about it? You're talking about the AI capability. Well, there's so much that we looked at. So which one are you talking about? Yeah, I'm thinking of that, that duo that we saw in the Asus booth that had, you know, that you could turn into a multi-monitor laptop. Oh yeah. yeah. For, for general kind of like developer productivity. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, that was definitely. I, as soon as I'm ready for a, a laptop renewal, I think that's the one I'm going to be looking at. But yeah, it had everywhere I go, I always want to plug in the second monitor. And as a developer, you're, you know, you're either looking at documentation or a reference manual or, you know, the console that you're actually working in. And so real estate, I think regardless of whether you're a developer or just an analyst or anything, screen real estate is, is key. And when you're portable, it's nice that we have these laptops that are very capable, but when you're walking around and you only got one screen, there are times when I really wish I had my external monitor. And this laptop had basically like a second 
kind of a component that kind of came out and the keyboard popped out. And so it kind of separated into two screens, two good quality screens too, not, not a junky screen. So from a productivity standpoint, I could see whenever I'm traveling or, you know, at a client site or just not on my home setup and with my multi-monitor setup, I don't have to lose any of that productivity that I have. And I thought what was really cool is that not only was it kind of a traditional, so the laptop, and you can go onto our website, I think, or, or look up the Asus, what is it called? A duo, I think. Anyway, the top panel where you normally expect a monitor to be had a monitor. And what was different about this laptop is that the panel that normally rests on the desk was also a monitor. And like you said, the keyboard lifted out. And what I thought was really interesting about the whole design setup is that the monitors could be set up in both landscape and portrait styles. So if you wanted to like flip your screens and do a code review while you're at a Starbucks and it was just easier to do it that way, right? You could actually do that with this setup. And that was, that was such an amazing piece of, of tech that I thought was just so simple and obvious, but so hard to get right. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was for sure skeptical initially, but then, you know, when they demonstrated it, we got a chance to put our hands on it. It was not clunky or, or, uh, or not graceful. It was, it worked really well. I'm surprised. I think that's the other part that makes CES really unique is that, you know, you can sit on your computer at home and you can watch YouTube and you can go and, uh, see the ads and read the press releases and stuff like that. But at the same time. I don't think you get the same kind of hands-on experience. You don't get to actually see it in action. You don't get to kind of have the visceral experience of interacting with the item, whatever that item is. And, and again, at, at the CES show, it was everything from huge autonomous excavators to the tiniest little microchips from Marvell and Broadcom. You know, speaking of chips, one of the ones that we saw that was really interesting, and I've been following this for a few years now, can't remember the company's name, but they do solid state cooling for like embedded devices and stuff. There are no moving parts in this cooling device at all. Now it, it doesn't have like a huge thermal limit, right? It can't dissipate a lot of heat, but for embedded devices, for devices that you need to deploy out onto the edge, it's a really, really fascinating package. And so you got to see everything from that to, we saw a return of BlackBerry, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. And my mind continues to kind of go through all the things we saw at the BlackBerry booth and, and how that can be made into meaningful progress for our government clients, as well as, and in very interesting ways too, we saw a return in BlackBerry in, in that they have brought back the real-time OS QNX in a real meaningful way for scaled deployments through a pipeline. That was absolutely fascinating as well as kind of their automotive. They, they really pivoted into the automotive space in, a, in an interesting way. And it was, it was like that everywhere you turned, it was either something completely new, something that you didn't expect to see, or something that was just really, really cool to see. There was another booth as we were walking through the sports and health section that they were advertising that conducted sound through, you know, either your, your skin or through your bone. I'm not sure exactly how it worked, but, but it looked good and they had won innovator awards from the show. So lots of just everywhere you went, it was lots of great stuff. Yeah. And what were the, what were the highlights for you? Well, I was just going to say with regards to those earbuds, my son, 
is is recently getting into swimming and one of the things that that you can do with those earbuds is you can actually listen to music while you're swimming laps because like they're basically vibrating the bone in your ear so that's really cool i would say you know to go go back to one of the things that you talked about you know the resurgence or the rise of of blackberry and they're kind of all in on their qnx operating system which is has real-time os capabilities that's going to be really critical in the coming years as we see you know the like a, a lot of edge-based technologies nvidia one of the things that they announced is how they're really targeting being able to do ai model execution at the edge so we're going to see a lot of devices that are a lot more capable, kind of contributing to a lot of the automation capabilities that have already started, but certainly gaining momentum. And, uh, you know, you mentioned about the vehicle systems. I, I had never, and this is one of those things where like, you know, you can have tunnel vision in what you're working on, but the kind of the engineering that goes into building these car infrastructures, these car electronics communication infrastructures. As vehicles get more and more digital and figurable and capable, you know, what, what was, oh, SDV, that's the acronym that I had never heard before I went to see a software-defined vehicle, kind of like software-defined radio or software-defined WANs. But, you know, basically, it just kind of highlights the importance of being good at software development, good at testing, good at security, because all of these things are going to be, you know, in a different world, a different paradigm now with them being kind of user configurable and, and quick turnaround to implement new features. Exciting stuff. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think, you know, what was it, Andreessen, right, who said software is going to eat the world. And if you, if you ever need a reminder of that, you, you only have to go to CES. And you're exactly right. It was, um, uh, who was the company? Synestis? Or I cannot remember which one it was. But you know, you're, you're right. Their entire paradigm was software is, and it's a, their software is already in use. It's a, basically a middleware layer for connecting all the different control systems and devices in, in the car together. And you don't think about that in these modern vehicles, but they're working on some really cool stuff to the point where they were talking a little bit about how the committees now are talking about how do we implement ethernet in in the vehicle, right? So that we can have better, more secure, more reliable communications, faster communications between the peripherals and the, and the central computing units, right? We can tie all that stuff together. So we, we for sure are kind of hitting this pace now where it's not a matter of whether your system will run some kind of software but a matter of how it's going to do that and under what conditions. And we saw that not only between these big established kind of commercial vendors, but we also got to see over at uh, the Linux Foundation booths some really exceptional examples where teams were taking open source software and porting them for use in those same environments. So. You know, it was a really cool demonstration of like, oh yeah, what we did is we, we took this library or we took this piece of software. I think in that, that case, what they were showing us was the ability to run Vulkan, which is a open API for graphics on other embedded platforms. And so that you could take open source libraries 
and open source software that might access Vulkan or use it for like a dashboard and use that in a car instead of having to pay for licensing fees and other costs. So, you know, whether you were, and, and this is a big collection of booths too. This one team was really rather small, but there was representation from every group of people, whether it was open source or, or closed source proprietary, whether it was big, heavy industry or microelectronics. Uh, the other thing that I thought was really cool as we were walking down the aisle, I'll, I'll never forget this. Um, my family at one point in time owned a machine and a, a tool and die shop. They, they did machining and parts for uh, other companies in the United States. And they went out of business at one point. Well, mostly out of business uh, in the mid mid nineties because of late, actually mid two thousands because of economic pressures. And with the CHIPS Act and, and with a lot of the changes in supply chain management, a lot of that's being sourced back to the United States now. And so here's kind of the interesting part from my perspective on CES. We had a tool and die manufacturer in Georgia saying, oh yeah, what we do is precision machined parts in Georgia to support these different activities. And I just thought that was amazing. And it was just fascinating to me that here we are on an electronic show floor and we understand that these kinds of machine, these precision machined platforms are so important to microelectronics and assembly that, yeah, it totally makes sense to see a company like that. They're talking about their latest innovations. And, and it really was the entire gamut. Nordic was there. Qualcomm was there, had a fantastic booth. People that, that you expected to see absolutely were there. In fact, the Qualcomm, we went to some of the keynotes as well. And the Qualcomm keynote was very well done. It's very good. They talked a lot about how. There's, I think it was their CEO was talking about how in the future, AI isn't just going to run in the cloud. The, the real pressure right now is to, like you said, Narik, to push AI out to those edge devices so that when you're on your phone, you can do those local inf inference processing tasks on your mobile device without having to ship everything back to the cloud. Yeah. And, you know, in a connected world, it doesn't seem like that's that important, but as we kind of grapple with a lot of the, the social conundrums around like privacy and things like that, that was certainly one of the key things that was brought up is that, Hey, the, these, these models are executing locally. They're not, you know, you have a little bit more control about what, what you're actually sending out to a cloud, especially not knowing, you know, once it gets to that cloud, yeah, you're getting your model executed and you're getting your answer, but what are those systems doing with your data after that? Yeah. Pri privacy continued to be kind of a big focus. So let's go ahead and start wrapping things up in the few minutes that we have left here. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, obviously it's a huge investment for dev to send folks to CES. We do it because we believe that these kinds of actions are, are really important to inspiring and driving conversations around how to leverage technology to accelerate processes. So my question for you, Narup, is do you feel like you got a good value out of the attendance of the show? And who would you recommend on the government side? What kind of government people would you recommend go to this? There were obviously, there was a big presence by different components in DHS. Some DOD folks were there, but, but for the government audience, kind of broadly speaking, who should go to CES? Well, certainly the government folks that are in the like acquisition process of obtaining either like some sort of consumer electronics, either 
you know, biometrics or, or mobile compute or edge compute, things like that. But one thing that I think helped, like that was eye-opening to me was some of the, the discussion sessions, right? So the, the thing with CS is that you have such a variety of technical understanding and knowledge levels that a lot of the discussion groups and panels are, I would say like a, like a, the deepest they go is probably the middle layer, right? Just because they're kind of appealing to a broader group. But at a, a lot of those discussions were ideas and things that I had thought about, but I hadn't thought about in the context of how they were being used. So for instance, you know, focusing a lot on digital identity right now, and with all of the AI advancements, the deep fakes and all this stuff, there were quite a few kind of working sessions on discussing, you know, what does that mean for, for consumers? What does that mean for, for users? How does it, how does it affect us? What are the things that like we as creators of things, either software or systems need to be aware of, need to think about? And so for, for government people that are setting policy, that are um, supporting applications and systems that are uh, public facing, it certainly is an opportunity to, to put yourself in the shoes of multiple perspectives and, uh, and think about how your systems might impact the, the users and, and the general public. Agreed. I think, I think it really is an opportunity for anyone to get hands-on time with some of the tech that is obviously going to have a big impact in how the government delivers now and in the future. So hopefully we'll get a chance to, to see you next year there. If you're listening, Narup and I enjoyed it a lot. We thought it was a, a huge value for us. And obviously devs believes in understanding and being able to leverage that knowledge into our, our missions and how we accelerate deliverables for our clients. So we hope you'll come on board and, and maybe we'll see you out there next year. In the meantime. This is John Janik. I'm the chief technologist for Dev Technology Group. And again, I want to thank Narup Ganchkar, who's our technical director for digital identity biometrics for joining us today. Really appreciate your time, Narup. And thanks for going out to CES on behalf of Dev and behalf of everybody that we work with to, to really understand and figure out how to best leverage all these great new techs, stacks and technologies that are coming out so that we can do better for all the people that we work for. Thanks again. Join us on the next DevCast and we'll see you then. Thanks a lot. Have a good one.